Okay. Um, good afternoon from myself. My name's Tim. I'm one of the elders here. If we haven't met before, just want to extend my welcome to you. Um, well done for um, letting me get your attention. In the first service, I had to wait for ages before they stopped talking. So either they like each other more than you do, or, um, or, they, or you just have more respect for me. So thank you either way. Um, we're going to have a message this morning, which is in between series as a church. If you're not uh, familiar with us, we would usually go through a series of messages. We went through the book of Luke, which is in the New Testament, for about a year recently. Over the summer, we went through a, a topical series on fear. And so uh, in this in-between stage, last week we heard from uh, Tom, who spoke to us about the harvest, that the harvest is plentiful, that God has a harvest for us here in Ipswich. Um, and today I'm going to be speaking on... Uh, the people of God, God's heart for his people, God's heart for the church. And the message is called a people. I want to pray and then we'll, then we'll jump into it. Father, I just want to welcome you by your Holy Spirit to soften our hearts, to give us ears to hear. Lord, we need to be shaped and guided by your word. As Nick's just rightly said, unless the Lord builds this house, we build it in vain. So Lord, let us succumb, submit to your word this morning. Let us enjoy it. Let it nourish our hearts. And Lord, let us be captivated this morning by that which captivates your heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're looking at the topic of the church, a people. And uh, your understanding of what the church is will shape your life and your living. Your understanding of what the church is will shape your life and your living. I wonder what you feel the church is when you think about the church in the week. If you're thinking about Sunday, I wonder whether you do. Uh, but if you do, would you think of, uh, I'm going to church, uh, I'm going to the place where we hear sermons, I'm going to the place where we sing, or, or whatever it might be. Today we're, we're really going to spend some time looking at, we must see the church how God sees it. We must have a... a, a, a perspective that is a heavenly perspective his heart for the church his love on the church his focus is the church his presence among the church and his image within the church God is passionate about the church and we may think of it as something we go to on a Sunday but there is a history uh, there is a destiny and there is a God at the center of it my own story is that I've always been a churchgoer as far as I can remember because my father is a pastor and my parents are, uh, are God-fearing Christians. And uh, for as long as I can remember, I've gone to church and I'm grateful for that. Over the years, I've grown to understand and love the church as God sees it. I'm so pleased to have a high view of the church, not just to be thinking I'm dragged along to church uh, or whatever it might be, not just to be thinking of uh, the, the process of what we go through, but to understand something of God's historical heart for a people that he's marked out for himself. I went to kids' work and learned the Old Testament stories and colored pictures of Noah and the ark. And I went to youth and I went to youth camps and, and, and worshipped with thousands of other young people where I would get an idea of this is much bigger than sometimes I give credit to. God has a people marked out for himself. I've moved country for the church. When I was 12 years old, we moved to America because my dad was going to help a church that were going through a, a, a traumatic experience and, uh, and, and build relationships with other churches. And then 
Uh, we came back after a few years after that work was done. And then about 11 years ago, we moved me and my wife to Cape Town, South Africa for five years to run the children's work in a church. I've been part of two quite large churches, one about 1,200 people in Brighton for most of my life, and then in Cape Town, about 900, 950 people. The kids' work was 300 kids, uh, so that was fun. Um, and uh, I remember one Christmas where I had 80 kids in a room on my own. Uh, so you don't have to worry too much about the roches, uh, ro- whatever it's called, the, uh, uh, ro- pardon? Ratios, thank you. Yeah, uh, in South Africa, although they, I'm sure they'll catch up with all the red tape. Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, it's good to have that stuff. So I, I love the church. I've got a high view of the church, it, it, and it impacts my life. And I would agree with this statement that your understanding of what the church is will shape your life and your living. I wonder what your reason is for being here this morning. I wonder what your approach to church is. Some of you will have researched various churches and you'll have looked at what is their doctrine? What do they believe in? What do they hold central before you choose what church you're in? Some of you might have just been brought along by somebody and not really thought it through much, but you're happy to be among welcoming people and you may just enjoy having new friends in a new place, perhaps even in a new town. Some of you have tried church after church and you're yet to feel that you have the right fit and you're just trying to find the right church for you. Some of you can't really explain it, but you just know you feel better if you come to church on Sundays. Some of you can't imagine life without being at Hope Church because it's been a constant for you for decades. I know we have people here who have been here for a long time. I wonder what you think of, as I said already. Do you think about it being primarily the place where you hear a Bible message? I'm going to hear the Bible opened up. On Sunday, Do you feel that way when you think about it? Do you think about the praise and the singing? Singing with other brothers and sisters, either sort of, I love it when I hear their voices. I love singing to each other. I love singing to myself. I love singing to God with others. Perhaps you're more aware of the rota that you are on and the duty that you feel you need to fulfill. Here comes Sunday. Am I doing something? Am I on kids' work? Am I in the band? What am I doing this Sunday? Perhaps it's the friends that you'll see. But as I've said, God has a heart for the church. God has a design and a desire for the church. And we're going to look in two passages this afternoon, Exodus 19 and 1 Peter 2. So if you know your Bible and you want to get your finger in there, uh, Exodus 19, if, don't worry, if not, the, 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 the words will be on the screen. In fact, I'm going to read it from my, uh, from my notes. Exodus 19, it says this, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, And said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. It's a fascinating uh, glimpse here of the first time that God really says to Moses, this is my desire, that I would have a people for myself, my treasured possession. Out of all the nations, I have my eye and my heart, and my fixation, my focus on a people. 
The God of heart, the, 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 the heart of God is for the Israelites, a people. I remember hearing that phrase growing up a number of times. A people, it sounds weird. No, it's either some people or a person. Not a people, but no, God has his heart on a exclusive, called out, chosen, adopted, a people who show the wonderful, multicolored love of God. See, God's heart is both so inclusive, but also exclusive. Probably the most famous passage in the Bible, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Not perish, but have eternal life. So it's, 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 it's open to whoever, but it is exclusive. And God has a people that his heart is set upon. Among all the peoples of the earth, they are his very own. And we hear the phrases, we hear the language coming out in this uh, um, passage here. It is fatherly. It's tender. It is loving. A people who are his treasured, his very own, who he gathered up like on eagles' wings, brought them out of slavery, those who were oppressed, those who were without hope. He saved, delivered, brought them out. He's telling them, you saw my action. You saw you who were trapped. You saw what I did when I ruined your enemies. I carried you out. You saw my love for you as I overwhelmed them. And it later goes on to say in Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. God's heart for his people is fatherly. It is affectionate. It's tender. It is intimate. My son, my very own. We start to see God's heart for his own people. A people set apart, holy for himself. And Moses would write in Deuteronomy, the Lord's portion is his people. What is he content with? What does he hold dear? His people. He found him in a desert land, the howling waste of a wilderness. He circled him, cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. He spread his wings and caught them and carried them on his pinions. The heart of God for his people is a protective, fatherly, strong, loving heart that says mine you're mine I've brought you to myself and like a parent he brought them out not merely to a place but to himself not really let's go from Egypt to Canaan but no I've brought you out of slavery to me so when we gather on a Sunday morning we don't merely come to a building or to a room we don't merely come to a service we don't merely come to each other we do come to all those things but primarily he's bringing us to himself A God who says, I'm brought out a people and your destination is me. Me. Mankind up until this point had been banished from the presence of God. Adam had sinned and they had been uh, excluded. Condemned to death. And here was God rescuing a special nation from slavery. But more than that, claiming them as his own. You'll be my people. I'll be your God, a special nation, dear to him, his focus directed on them. 
the tender arms, the tender heart of a father, intimately bringing a lost people home to himself. And this beautiful picture, this beautiful perspective is even more wonderful when you consider actually that these people were not special. There was nothing special about them. In fact, they were people who worshipped other idols. They didn't consecrate themselves to him. They had turned away from him and found themselves lost and oppressed. They were not particularly strong, not particularly um, impressive, not particularly large in number. And yet it says in Deuteronomy, God set his love upon them because, what must be profound, because what? Because he loved them. And it's really hard to get our heads around that, isn't it? You must love me for a reason. Otherwise, what have I, how do I get you to love me more? How do I work on that? No, God wants some of you to remember this this morning. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because of what he's like, not because of what you're like. He loves you because he's a loving God, not because you're a lovely person. And you, that might offend some of you. I think, well, no, 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 he loves me because I'm pretty special. No, he loves you because he's special. And that can both humble you and free you. Oh, thank goodness. I don't have to keep up with impressing him. He loves me because he loves me. God set his love upon them because he loved them. And from here on, God keeps referring to this exclusive relationship. You're my people who I brought out of Egypt. This is our relationship. I'm your savior. I'm your God. I, I purchased you. You're mine. He was the God of the whole world, and yet he was the God of this special chosen treasure who would be a blessing to the nations. He's invested in them. He's invested in his people. Do you know that this morning? This is not just an, an occasion you come to, but there is a God who we come to who is invested in you. Invested in your growth, invested in your relationship with him, that he would know you, that he would love you, that he would do things in your life that would bring you to more Christ-likeness. You would look more like his son. And his son is what we celebrate throughout the Bible, but particularly when he turns up in the New Testament in flesh. He's been throughout the Old Testament, but in flesh, Jesus comes incarnate. In the New Testament, we see Peter using the same language that has been used in Exodus to explain this world-changing impact of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. If you're not familiar with us as a church, what we are all about is Jesus and the good news of his life, his death, his resurrection on our behalf. We celebrate because of what he has accomplished. Every Sunday we're about Jesus. And the New Testament is full of this word, therefore. Therefore. Again and again and again, it's, it's written, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. Therefore, live in freedom. Enjoy his love. Commit to these things. Therefore, there is good things to invest in and stupid things to wander off in. Therefore, because of God, because of what he's done, and so we live with God, what you've done every Sunday, I want to write, remind myself, therefore there is love, there is life, there's freedom, there's light, there's joy, there's peace for me. And so we love this story of Jesus. We want to keep telling people about the story of Jesus. And as we see, Peter explains, Jesus is the means by which this people from the Old Testament has become a new people. 
And we'll see this as we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 4 to 10. It says this, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, should be on the screen, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see how this picture is much more than going to a service on a Sunday. This is holy. This is anointed. This is profound. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. That means they reject Jesus, which is also what they were destined for. Now here's this 9 and 10, which really quotes what we've been looking at. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once again, sorry, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Whatever we think about when we come to church, it's important to grow an understanding and remember what the church is in God's heart, what it is in his mind, what it is in his eyes. The words he spoke over his people, the affection that he has for a chosen people, the love that he has, the light that he's poured out upon them. They're now directed at the church. That people that he wanted for himself that he'd gathered out that he'd brought through this redemptive salvation out of slavery into freedom that's our story as the church it's now been written over us that we would be this chosen people royal priesthood holy nation the church is supposed to be something specific it's supposed to be something we don't make it up as we go along the church It's supposed to be something that has been written about from the very beginning, right through God's holy, called out, chosen ones. It's actually supposed to be many things, specifically. The Bible uses all kinds of metaphors to explain. The family and household of God, the body of Christ, the temple of the Spirit, the pillar and foundation of truth, the bride of Christ, Christ's flock. There's many Metaphors that we have in each one of them tells us something wonderful about the heart of God for the church. We need all of them because there's no other organization, there's no other body, there's no other people group that is like the church. God has his heart set upon. It's what God is about on the earth. It's what he is invested in. There's something beyond the friends. There's something beyond the songs There's something beyond attending. All these things are crucial and they're good, but there's something much bigger than that. God himself has plans and purposes for his people. It's absolutely essential and it's where his presence is. It's where his focus lies. It's the body of Christ for which Christ has laid down his life. The the, the church is beautiful. I'm so grateful that I have been given a big view of the church over the years. And whether you like it or not, 
the church is a love story. It's a love story. God uses the most intimate relationship, mar- uh, marriage, to explain what the church is. It says this in Ephesians 5. Husbands, so husbands, listen up. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here we learn something crucial and central to God's heart for the church. Husbands are to love their wives by giving up their lives for them, laying their lives down for them, loving them in that way that is self-sacrificial and giving of themselves. This is what Jesus did. God's own son coming from the majesty of heaven, conceived by the Holy Spirit to be born to a virgin in the lowest place imaginable, put in a food trough at his birth, raised in a nothing town to nobodies in the world's eyes, lived a life of complete obedience, refusing every temptation and without sin, crucified under Roman rule and raised to life on the third day, Jesus gave himself up for his bride. Every minute of every day gave himself up to, I will not give into temptation. And then finally gave his life as his blood was spilled for his bride, the church. Through his life, death and resurrection, he purchased a people for himself. Paying the price for our sin if we're those who will turn from our sin trusting in him. We can be holy, set apart, chosen. We can be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. These are things written over us because and only because Jesus laid his life down for us. There's no other hope for us being these things apart from Jesus laying his life down for us. If you notice, it said in the Exodus account, if you will obey my commands. If you will commit to me, then I will be your God. You'll be my treasured possession. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Jesus is the answer to the fact that we can't do that. He did it for us. He purchased us because he did what we couldn't do. We can't obey fully. Jesus obeyed fully. Ephesians 5, it goes on to say Jesus, is nur- Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church as one who nourishes and cherishes his own body. He didn't just purchase and then say, okay, now you get on with it. No, he, he nourishes and cherishes the church as his own body. He identifies with us. The love and value that Jesus has for his people is profound. He's chosen us, purchased us for himself to be his very own. So when we consider church, when we consider coming on a Sunday, consider the worth that Jesus places on her. People say a a building, a house, is worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. Consider the worth that Jesus places on the church as he paid for her with his own blood. Consider the love he has for her when you notice things that are not your preference. Sometimes people may say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. And I understand that. Jesus is better. Jesus is more beautiful. The church is messy. 
But Jesus wouldn't be okay with that statement. Would you be okay with it if someone said to you, I love you, but I don't like your spouse? I love you, but I don't like your wife. Would you like to come to dinner, but leave your wife at home? That's, that's completely offensive. Jesus laid his life down for her. He loves her with his whole heart. So we must get into life. Jesus has a passion for the church where I can't say, I love Jesus, but I can't be bothered with the church. All the commitment, all the frustration, the things that are uncomfortable. No, Jesus is saying, come and come with me. Be a part of what I have died for. When we serve at church, we serve that for which Christ died and loves. When we talk about church, we talk about that for which Christ died and loves. When we find others difficult, we're talking about members of the family which Christ died for and loves. When the songs aren't your favorite or the people aren't your favorite, remember the incredible value that Christ has given and how seriously he loves his own people. Christ is taken up with his bride. He wants us to value the church. He wants us to see this big picture of the church. In fact, he loves the church so much that he identifies with it in, in profound ways. When Jesus had ascended to heaven, Saul of Tarsus, who was the persecutor of the church, killing Christians, affirming their deaths and their murders, getting, hating the church, against the church, Jesus met him on the road, appeared to him, blinded him with a bright light and said to him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hating me? Saul could have said, I'm not. I, I hate Christians. I hate the church. Jesus says, you're hating me. This is how profoundly he's wrapped up in the church. Dare we say, oh, I can't be bothered with church. Jesus says, it's me. This is me. These people are mine. They're me. They're my ambassadors. So much so that this Saul later went on to uh, have a complete change of life and, and gave his life to Jesus leading the church that he had once hated, and wrote to the Corinthian church saying, now you are the body of Christ. Individually, you're members of it. Jesus says, we're his body. He's happy to be called the head of us as his body, represented by us messy people. He's happy to say, yeah, you're mine. You're representing me. And when we celebrate, as we will do at the end of this message, communion with breaking bread and drinking the wine, we remember Christ's body broken for us. Not just me. You broke. You gave your life for us. You shed your blood for us. And as we take the cup and the bread, we know that in the room, there are others who are much richer than us, much smarter than us, much more educated than us, much more better looking. Well, maybe not that for me. Um, and there are also others whose lives are much more messy than ours. Much more new to following Jesus than us. But the blood and the body is for us equally. Jesus said, I'm the door. There's only one door to the Father. We all must go through it. I can't say, yeah, I get through it with my Rolex. That's nothing. We have to go through the same door. It doesn't give any more impression with your background. It, it, no matter how low, no matter how high, it, it, the millionaire, millionaire comes in the same way as those in debt. The lawyer comes through the same way as the lawbreaker. The nurse comes through the same way as the addict. The Oxbridge educated comes through the same way as those who didn't finish school. 
Those from broken homes come through the same way as those from healthy homes. We come through Jesus. So we, we, we have communion. And we might look around the room and feel intimidated that they're more holy than I am. And then you look in your hands and you see, unfortunately at the moment, these little, this is the blood. This is the bread. This is what I hold on to. This is my hope. Not do I measure up to others around me. Those in Christ are equally his chosen, his royal, holy nation. If you've repented of sin and believed the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, you all belong to Jesus and to one another. Paul says this to the Romans. He says this in Romans 1, For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Of course, we see that in church, it won't always be smooth. It won't always be without sin. It won't always be without pain. People will be difficult, maybe even hurtful from time to time. But we must commit to reminding ourselves and each other of the truth. We belong to God because Christ gave himself up for us. We belong together because Christ gave himself up and and because of that we're committed to what he has created, one new man in Christ Jesus. From every tribe and tongue in Christ Jesus, a people for himself. So what will it mean for you to learn about and commit to church as it is intended to be this term. Over the years of being married, I've been married for 14 years, I've learned what it is to transition from being my own to belonging to someone else. And as a parent, to belonging to many others. I don't use my time in the same way anymore. I'm not my own. I can't just go and do whatever I feel like, whenever I want. No, I'm committed to others. I belong to others. I don't use my money in the same way anymore. I'm much more mature now as I've moved on from some immature, self-absorbed ways to recognize I'm not my own. I belong to a family. I'm committed to a family. It plays into every area of my life and I've abandoned a life that is unattached, autonomous, individual, and I've embraced the life of marriage and family and this is true for my life in the church over the decades as well i'm part of something bigger i'm part of a family i'm committed i've given myself it makes a difference how i spend my time how i spend my money my marriage makes a difference to this church how committed i am in it how i parent my children it matters in this body how i either refuse or walk into sin It matters to this body. I'm committed to something bigger than just me. God's brought me into a people. Being a member of God's family, it means abandoning an unattached and unaccountable life. It means being part of a family, taking responsibility for that family. It means inviting other Christians into your life to have awkward conversations and to talk and own up to things you've done wrong and and where your weaknesses are together. And help each other. It involves looking out for older people to disciple you. For younger people to disciple. It means showing hospitality to people who are on the edges and in, in need. It means rejoicing with those who rejoice 
and weeping with those who weep. Jesus said, this is how the world will know you love me. This is his design, that we, how we love one another, the world will see your followers of him. They would see him in how his disciples love one another. He tells us how to love one another. Love each other as I have loved you. Lay your life down for each other. Don't just go for your preferences. Remember Jesus in the garden. Father, is there any other way? It wasn't his preference to go to the cross. He didn't want to do that. Who would? But your will be done. I submit to you. And now he is seated on high. Trusted the Father and was exonerated, was brought right through. We're those who say, Father, not my will be done. I, I want to love others as you have loved me and laid your life down. And therefore, one author says, a church is a group of people who know they've been loved by Christ and have begun to love one another like that. It's as simple as that. God's chosen people who know they've been loved by Christ and begun to love one another like that. And in terms of our future, in terms of our destiny, it doesn't end there. It's glorious. I hope you're picking up a picture here where you think this is glorious. The church is an awesome thing. It's God's interest in the world. It's what he's about. And there is a destiny. It says in Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible. It's a, it's a prophetic book. What's going to happen going forward? The apostle John was, was given a vision uh, and he saw this in, in the penultimate chapter of the whole Bible. This is the destiny of the church. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. The sea represents turmoil there. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It's too glorious to imagine, isn't it? It's hard to get your head around. It's going to be glorious. This is God's destiny for his marked out, chosen people. And we are to be ambassadors in this life to the world around us of the city that is to come. We're to show them a glimpse of it as we love and give ourselves to Jesus. There are many more people in Ipswich who Jesus has won this for. It's not just us. There's many more people that Jesus is saying, I've made a way for you to be in this chosen, called out, treasured possession, for you to be part of this family. And we're going to be giving our lives to that in this church, to calling people in, join us, join what God has done. It's exclusive and it is broad. God loved the world. He gave his son for whoever believes in him. Come and be part of what I'm about in the world. This term in our midweek groups, we're going to focus on this. We're going to be looking at loving what Christ loved enough to die for. We're going to be using a book called Love Your Church. If you're a life group leader in here, I've got books for you after the service. And this will take us through 
eight chapters looking at what it is the Bible says. This isn't just this guy's ideas. He's a Bible teacher and he's saying this is what the church looks like. It's what we've been commanded to live like, belonging to the church, welcoming others into the church, gathering as a gathered church on Sundays, caring for others in the church, serving the church, honoring leadership in the church, witnessing so that others will join the church and sending and planting new churches. It's a really fantastic term we've got ahead of us. All the groups are going to be the same. There's a video each week. There's uh, content for us to discuss. I'd encourage you, Life Group sign-up is open today. Have a look online. Uh, let me remember that it's, it's hopeipswitch.co.uk forward slash life groups. Have a look around. See which day of the week suits you, perhaps where the location is. Let's get into groups where we focus on, okay, God, you've given me a big picture for what this is. Your heart is set upon this wonderful, called out people. Now, I want to understand and love it the way you do. Just before we have communion, there may be some in here who think, I don't know if I'm included in this. I don't know if I'm in the family. I don't know if, if I'm chosen. I don't know if I'm one of the called out ones. Well, we love to tell people there's a way you can be sure. As John 3.16 says, there's a way you can be sure it starts with this, accepting that one day when you die and you stand before God, you have nothing that you can say, I deserve to be here. It starts with accepting that and saying, yeah, I can't make any claim. I'm not holy in my own merit. I need some help here. You have to start with admitting that. I need help. I'm a sinner. And Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. And, and, I, and I'm going to turn away from sin and receive his forgiveness the forgiveness that was provided at the cross. We put our faith in him. We start to say, okay, I was going my own way and I follow him. I trust him. I put my hope, my faith in him as my king. Yes, my rescuer, but also my king. I commit to him and to his people. If you want to do that today, please do speak to me or someone at the prayer area afterwards or someone that you came with. Speak to one of us. Don't let this, this opportunity slip. God is about a wonderful thing in the world and he wants to call many into it. We just stand and take hold of the offering, uh, sorry, the communion. I really don't know what to call these things. Goblets. That's a terrible word, isn't it? Beakers. I don't know. Grab one of these things. Because as I said during the message, this is what we say. Jesus, we're coming through the same. The same Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is for you. If you're someone who said, I've turned from my life, given it to him, this communion is what we celebrate. It doesn't have to be a morbid occasion. It's a celebration. Jesus, there may be someone else in the room who I know is in a completely different life to me in circumstances, but we both come through you. I'm just going to pray. Why don't you take that now and just take the... Uh, the wafer, the bread. Thank Jesus for his body broken for you. And then take the juice. Thank him for his blood spilled for you as I pray. Father, we thank you for bringing individuals into an us. No longer I, no longer me. You brought me into an us where you are at the center. Thank you for a home Thank you for a family. Thank you for a purpose. Thank you for a calling. 
Thank you for a relationship with God. Thank you for eternal hope. Thank you for unrivaled love. Thank you for choosing us to be your holy nation. You brought us all in through the same door that none should boast, that no one should feel fearful of comparing to others. We just thank you this morning for your death, your life, your death, your resurrection that brought us right through. We thank you for the church. And I do pray as we go forward, not just this term, but for the rest of our lives, that we would have this high view of this wonderful thing for which Christ gave his life, his new people, his nation, his treasured possession. Help us to say, if you give yourself for this, I want to give myself for it too. And call many other people into it. Bless us as a church, Lord. Bless our future. Bless many others to join us and to understand this is not about uh, a, a concert. It's not about a gathering. It's not about a, a, a nice building. Oh God, we are the called out, chosen people of God. It's a reverent thing, Lord. It's incredible to know we have been included. Thank you, Lord. Amen.